Hello, everybody, and welcome to Yester Ladies with Dana Cornwall and Heather Green. All right, and we're going to just jump right in, I think. I think so. Uh, we're talking about the Salem Witch Trials today. Ooh. <laughs> it is kind of an ooh-worthy <laughs> topic, I think. Yeah, it's what, you know, everybody has heard of the Salem Witch Trials, but I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. people don't always know the details. It's just this kind of mysterious, like, frightening kind of mythical <laughs> event from America's past. Yes. You kind of see it at Halloween in like documentaries yeah. and then grade nine. Yeah. You read the crucible and then yes. that's it. Yes. Yep. And then we definitely found that some of the documentaries that have been produced about the Salem witch trials. <laughs> well, I'm sure, you yes. know, for the most part, very accurate and really interesting and yep. very, you know, well done. Uh, definitely have tend to have kind of an air of, um, uh, I don't even know. A little sensational. A little sensational, that's the word. A little sexualized. (laughs) Yes. We were were both laughing about one particular documentary, and it was great. It was really well done. It was was. The Secrets of the Dead on PBS, which is a really great show with lots of interesting episodes but they did an episode kind of revolving on around the Salem witch trials and it was making me laugh because they they constantly referred back to this reenactment of this young woman apparently suffering from some ailment and she's writhing about in a very short <laughs> little nightgown on a bed and moaning and it's <laughs> it, was, it was quite the negligee <laughs> it was it was yeah. unnecessarily sexual and it's they kept Puritan. going back to it yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's just such a sexy topic. Well, it could be. It could be very alluring <laughs> <laughs> if you're into that. It's true. Yes. yes. Well, I guess we should kind of get to some of the facts. Uh, okay. We've got kind of a lineup of some of the facts of the mm-hmm. Salem witch trials, and then we're going to jump into some of the very interesting theories as mm-hmm. to what may have been happening. Because while I think most people realize there were lots of witch trials happening for hundreds of years yes. before this in in Europe and uh and then even in uh um in the colonies mm-hmm. uh before this particular Salem incident this one was kind of unique in the number of uh, victims the number mm-hmm. of people accused the short time span right. um it yeah. all happened so quickly and it was so kind of deadly for yeah. a lot of people and then it was over yeah it was very brief and violent yeah and, and then that's exactly. it exactly yeah. yeah so yeah. i think generally when you had um witch trials in the past it seems like from what i read it tended to be more kind of one-off cases where mm-hmm. somebody you know more often than not a woman was accused of of witchcraft um generally seemingly precipitated by some event you know somebody got sick or Mm -hmm. you know your cow died or something and there's this slightly odd older lady living next to you (laughs) like a two-headed chicken or something yes exactly and you think hmm Mm. she gave me a dirty look when she (laughs) when she passed me and you know things kind of progressed from there but they did tend to be just kind of you know one at a time fairly isolated incidents um and then this outbreak uh, of witchcraft <laughs> was uh, a little bit unusual. So like you mentioned, this was going on a lot in Europe. Um, and so there's a long tradition of it. And it spanned about 1300 to 1600 all across Europe. So we're looking at a broad cultural sorry, cultural trend. Um, and Salem is sort of at the tail end of that experience. Um, but like you're saying, it went from more discreet, 
um, incidences to suddenly this big flare up of like dozens of people um, or more. So yeah, it's it's kind of an aberration in a long pattern of of people being killed for this reason. Yeah. So yeah, but we're looking at a couple hundred years leading up to this. So for someone living at this time period, it would have been very normal. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. it kind of makes you wonder like, what, what are we doing today? What are we jailing or executing people for today that people in the future will be like, oh, that's made up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That could get political really fast. It could. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could. Yeah. And we don't want to go into that, but no. just, it, would, it would have been very, um, sort of a very normal thing to happen as, as, violent and unpleasant as it would have been it's part of sort of part of everyday life to live back then in europe or or the new world yeah i think that's actually good to keep in mind when we consider this because it seems so bizarre to us looking back that you had all of these people accusing their neighbors of being (laughs) witches and like assuming that they were doing nasty things to them in this spiritual plane kind of and it just seems absurd to most of us now um but as yeah as you say it was really a part of everyday life and you know that had a lot to do with just a lack of understanding of some of the things that we now know um but uh yeah as you say i'm sure there are things now and we know that there are that there are things now that there's still witch hunts i mean we'll talk uh, maybe a little bit about um the crucible and of course that was um arthur miller's very thinly veiled <laughs> poking at the yes. communist um, scare um, in the fifties in the States. So, yeah. uh, you know, then yeah. we still use that, that phrase, witch hunts. Right. Exactly. So uh, often in political arenas. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, uh, it also reminds me of the superstition of the evil eye in um, like Eastern Europe oh, and okay. sort of Mediterranean cultures. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like many people um, subscribe to this belief that just looking at someone or wishing <laughs> ill on someone is enough to cause bad things to happen. And they explain bad things in their life by saying someone gave me the evil eye. Yeah. And, and, and it is, she's giving me the evil eye right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my Heather. microphone will stop working. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a lot of the, um, the, iconography in their culture that they're like there's jewelry with eyes on it or um like you put eyes in the prow of your boat that sort of thing and it's supposed to um fend off the evil huh. eye that someone might be sending you so so the you know, the eye you put on your boat is supposed is to what like stare down the stare evil down eye? yeah i think there's more to the boat okay eye, <laughs> but i know for sure the jewelry like it's a very common cool. motif to have in jewelry from sort of Mediterranean cultures and and Eastern European cultures. And uh, yeah, so if you, like, that's a whole nother topic, but it's that sort of superstitious, um, like you were saying, spiritual reasoning Mm -hmm. behind why things are happening. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of a neat connection. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's kind of dive into the particular uh, situation in Salem, which began in the winter of 1692. Um, So it started in January, and it started with um, three girls in particular. And this was the other, actually, a very interesting thing. And, you know, a number of the articles that I read, and I'm sure that you read, and uh, we were kind of looking at a book, in particular that was talking about this and they all kind of referenced the fact that this was a really unique situation in that you had these uh, teenage girls and preteen girls Mm -hmm. uh, accusing adults of witchcraft and this was kind of turning that society on its head where the people who traditionally had the least amount of power were talking about young women right right (laughs) um unmarried young women (laughs) and like even kind of servant uh girls having 
this this power over their whole community and everybody was looking to them and listening to them which was extremely unusual so everything was kind of turned on its head in this in this situation so it started with these three girls um elizabeth paris and abigail williams and then a neighbor of theirs and putnam so elizabeth paris was the daughter of the community's um minister the reverend paris and abigail williams was his niece and elizabeth was nine and abigail was 11 and then they had a neighbor and putnam and she was 11 as well and the three of them kind of I guess simultaneously or around Mm -hmm. about the same time came down with this very mysterious illness. And I mean, you know, no joking matter. And witnesses at the time did not believe that they were faking. And when you read the accounts, I don't know, it's hard to like, were they faking? And this has been like a a huge debate over the years. Um, People wondering like, were they faking the whole thing? But you read some of the accounts and it sounds like a lot of it, like hard to fake. I mean, these yes. convulsions yes. and um, just like contorted in pain and, and keeping it up for long periods of time and um, basically seeing things and uh, having terrible nightmares and uh, just screaming and they're throwing things and they're trying to, on occasion they're trying to like throw themselves into the fire Mm -hmm. and uh, just you know kind of this awful affliction that nobody can figure out and um and then of course the fact that this is happening in the reverend's household is a is a big deal so Mm. i think the news maybe that would help the news to spread even faster absolutely you would assume it's the last place something like that exactly it seems very physically demanding to keep up something like that for days on end you know if you're faking (laughs) you you would probably need a break so yeah um, that's what i thought too like it seems like it would be very tough to keep up something like that for that long yeah like you could see you know these girls kind of doing that for maybe a day or so but (laughs) yeah like short episodes yeah Yeah. they, they kept they kept doing it. And so it's, Mm. it's kind of hard to completely write off as maybe something that they were completely making up, but I mean, maybe that's, that's still a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, so it started with these three girls. Um, and as this went on, of course, the adults in the community and their household and then the wider community were very concerned and trying to figure out what's going on. Well, um, Abigail Williams, it seems from what I've read, it it seems like she was the one who was kind of the most vocal and maybe the first to start making some accusations of Mm. witchcraft. But the first person accused was a woman, a servant woman, an indentured uh, slave named Tichiba. Um, And it's unclear if this is a for sure thing, but it seems as though historians assume that she was uh, a Caribbean slave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she's kind of referred to, I guess, in contemporary accounts as Tichaba Indian. So that could be referring to somebody who is Native American, but um, the historians looking back seem to think that this was a woman who was uh, somebody from the Caribbean who mm-hmm. was basically a, a slave in this household. Um and I guess she, you know, she had her her own cultural heritage and she had told the girls stories involving, you know, magic and different things. And she probably had some some home remedies for different ailments and things. And, of course, to these Puritans, um, you know, anything like that was considered extremely dangerous. And <laughs> she was kind of a likely um, 
suspect yeah, in their eyes sort of an easy scapegoat exactly yeah. yeah so yeah. um the first few accused witches in this case were very much kind of in line with traditional witches so the people that were kind of generally accused of mm-hmm. being witches at the time so you had um again women um yeah. they tended to be either uh kind of foreign right. women or, in different ways or, or older or older poor, women poorer women yeah, yeah. so tichuba was the first person accused and then closely followed by a woman named sarah good the girls accused her and then another woman named sarah osborne so sarah good was a homeless um i guess beggar so again she kind of fit in with the the typical picture of a witch and sarah osborne was an elderly poor woman and uh i from what i think i remember reading that she was kind of people didn't like her she wasn't very nice (laughs) and so again that's like you know if you were kind of a mean old lady then that you could be pointed at exactly being a witch yeah it seems like it's the most vulnerable women in the community or vulnerable people because Mm -hmm. women were automatically more vulnerable than men um yeah, what's interesting is that Tichuba confessed yes. upon being accused and then accused others, whereas both Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne denied. No, they maintained so, their innocence right, right through. Right. Yeah. But you can see how quickly someone like Tichuba um, um, confessing to this and then naming others, like mm-hmm. all of a sudden it becomes real because yeah. now someone has confirmed it. So well, yeah, and it's, it's pretty scary. It's interesting because we kind of look back and think like, why on earth would she confess to this? Right, I mean, right. our general understanding now, of course, is that nobody was a witch <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> Including the dogs that they, that the they dogs. hung. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Oh, Two dogs. <laughs> um, so we, we kind of take that for, right. for granted. <laughs> that nobody actually was practicing witchcraft. Um, so why on earth would she confess? But right. one of the pieces that we were looking at in preparation for this was talking about you really didn't have much in the way of options if you were accused of being a witch. You either um, denied or confessed. Well, if you denied, then you're you're um, you were kind of already assumed to be a witch. And so, if you denied right. it, you were just seen as being obstinate and <laughs> you're evil. obstructing justice exactly so you would probably be punished right hung right. or right. you know whatever else tortured or you know to try to get you to confess right. um but if you confessed to being a witch then you know obviously you weren't looked on very favorably but at least you generally my understanding is that they would Therefore, you had confessed, and so therefore you could you could begin the process of asking forgiveness and seeking repentance, and they would not necessarily kill you. Yeah, it was more like you could be redeemed. Yeah, so you were willing to admit to the sin of witchcraft, yeah. and so, so then, you know, if you're going kind yeah. of from just a logical standpoint, it it kind <laughs> it, of would make sense right. to confess, right? Um, and uh, but you know, lots of people didn't because they they weren't witches and they knew it and they refused to yeah. to admit that and you have to admire that absolutely you know standing up for themselves and refusing to kind of go along with this hysteria and you know right. cost them their lives right. unfortunately many people but and they might have seen that lie as a sin as well right, right. i'm not going exactly. to lie yes, exactly. and, and actually sin when i didn't right. do anything wrong in the That's first a very place very good point yeah. and that kind of leads us into poor giles Corey, um one of the oh. few men to be yeah. accused 
Uh, I think he's a little later on. I hope I'm not skipping too no, far ahead. No, that's, I mean, I was just going to talk about, um, so, it kind of, you know, things progressed from there. These women were accused. Um, and again, as I was saying, the first three people, conf- uh, conf- uh, what did I say? They were confused. They weren't confused. They were <laughs> accused. Accused. <laughs> they may have been confused yeah. about why everybody were, was confused. About why they were accused. <laughs> yeah. So the first three people accused yep. were kind of typical suspects yes. for witchcraft. But then uh, as things progressed, um, the girls started naming people who were very atypical, um, kind of pillars of the community and men, which was very unusual. And one kind of case of this one particular case that really shocked everybody i think she was accused uh fairly early in the in the uh, adventure here um martha Corey, mm-hmm. this woman who was an older woman but very kind of this matriarchal figure very respected this kind of pillar of the community pillar of the church like church member just yep. you know beloved older woman um with a family and you know just generally considered to be a very strong christian woman right um so this i think maybe was one of the things that really started spurring this hysteria because everybody figured well if martha Corey is a witch, witch. there's anyone yeah. can be a witch <laughs> there's yeah. no one who could not be a witch exactly so is. everybody right. kind of starts looking right. askance at their neighbors yes. and giving them the evil, evil eye, eye. Oh, okay Whoa. um and yeah it kind of leads to all this paranoia mm-hmm. and people start being accused um pretty rapidly so all of this leads eventually you know all these people are uh, being jailed um and accused and all of this is going on so um by by june so really this is only a few months later so this started in january right kind of the you know the main early accusations were happening by you know kind of february march and by june of 1962 um 1692 16 i didn't see i knew i was gonna do it we knew that was going to happen so not 1962 1692 (laughs) (laughs) that was inevitable Uh, yeah i knew i was gonna do that 1692 june of 1692 um the first court was convened and i i really love what they call it um the special court of oyer and terminer and oyer means to hear Mm. and terminer means to decide Uh. so very ominous sounding uh, (laughs) terminer we will terminate your life oh Oh, dear dear. yes so governor phipps um ordered this this special court at the end of may and things got rolling in june and now another thing to keep in mind was that salem village was a very small little community kind of on it was like a rural um village farming community on the outskirts of the larger salem town right um so this is this kind of rural place where they didn't actually have um you know a a normal court system the way boston did or other larger communities so they had this kind of specialized court so this court starts in and before long they are convicting people and a woman named bridget bishop was the first person to be convicted on june 10th so (laughs) the court was ordered on may 27th and by uh oh i'm sorry no she's convicted and then she's hanged on june 10th Mm. so they didn't wait around for very long um you know once you've been convicted (laughs) that was it that's it you're you know 
things start moving along pretty quickly there. So this all happens just within a few months. By October of that year, things are pretty much wrapped up. So just in the span of the summer months, this court is going on and people are being accused. And it's this like dramatic scene in the court where Mm -hmm. these girls and other victims are, you know, collapsing and convulsing when they see the people who they've accused and everything the accused says is really going against them (laughs) and it's just uh, this kind of mass hysteria and the court is not this kind of orderly proceeding at all and um one of the one of the interesting things about this kind of first court was that spectral evidence was allowed yes um so that is the testimony of dreams and visions. So these girls could basically say, or the victims um, of this supposed witchcraft could basically say, well, Goody Corey, she she came to me, her specter visited me and was poking me. <laughs> right. And she's doing it right now in the court. And there she is. She's like, <laughs> she's poking me. And, you know, nobody else can see this. Right. Well, they allowed this as, as evidence. And um, so all of these people were convicted on this kind of evidence and in the end um 19 people were hanged mm-hmm. and one man was pressed to death with large stones with large stones isn't <laughs> that is delightful just lovely <laughs> it's, oh. uh, it's poor man so he was the husband of martha Corey, i believe who was the very sort of upstanding upright christian lady in the community and so her poor husband he refused to enter a plea he wouldn't plead either uh innocent or guilty which i mean we can kind of understand why he didn't want to go either way (laughs) so to try to obtain a plea from him uh they just kept adding stones on top of him until yeah my understanding is they placed a board on top of him and then they just added yeah they just big stones stones on top of that yeah big stones trying to get him to confess and in the end they just crushed him to death right so So he wasn't really convicted no (laughs) no he was sort of done away with before he got that uh, yeah opportunity yeah really yep. awful um and it's also worth mentioning that seven people during this died while in jail yes. so uh you didn't have to be convicted and hung in order to die in this process so mm-hmm. um well and tragic. did you read about i mean this just got absolutely insane and it just goes to show that they really thought anybody could be a witch um there was a was like two or three year old little girl who was mm-hmm. imprisoned and oh, thank dear. god i mean it was my understanding she wasn't executed but um this she was the daughter of one of the accused i was gonna witches. say she, yeah she was with her mother or her mother had also been and she accused. confessed yeah. um right. and it's kind of supposed that she maybe did that to be with her mother who was in prison right um it makes sense but, i mean goodness a girl a little yeah. girl that age yeah. i mean she wouldn't really understand anyway what's going on yeah um, but yeah, they imprisoned a toddler. Aww, lovely. <laughs> Very nice. So over the course of a few months, about 200 people were accused. As we said, 20 um, were executed or pressed to death. Mm. And as you say, about seven people died in prison. So by the fall, I think, you know, people are starting to think like, what is going on here? Maybe this is getting out of hand. I mean, and this was huge news all over the colony you know you had lots of communities hearing about this and i think by this point the governor and other kind of large figures and probably even people within the salem village Mm -hmm. community were Mm -hmm. starting to think like okay maybe this is getting out of hand right and um on uh, october 29th uh governor phipps dissolved the court of oyer and terminer (laughs) and replaced it with uh, a superior court 
uh, of judicature. I, I can't say that word at all. Judicature? Ju- judicature? I'm not going to try. I'm going yeah. to let you. Superior Court of ju- Judicature. Ju- We're going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm saying it wrong and I should know better. Judicature? There, I think that's right. Oh. We won't say it again. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> that, that court. So this is a much more kind of um, by the book court. And the first thing that he did, Governor Phipps, he pro- pro- prohibited future arrests. Okay. So nobody mm, else okay. is going to be arrested Good. for witchcraft. And then the second major thing that he did was disallow spectral evidence. Right. So um, they still had like 56 defendants in this superior court. Um, only three of them were convicted. Okay. So this is as opposed to just the like way more <laughs> almost everyone. almost everybody right, right. convicted yeah and then by uh so this is in october this kind of has gone on long enough and then by the following spring may of 1693 governor phipps had pardoned everybody else left in prison um and then by just a few years later it was really kind of um People didn't uh, didn't have a good feeling about what they had done, and <laughs> yes. um, I forget. I forget exactly oh, I have who it here. I read. You, who? So in sixteen ninety seven, yeah. So less than five years after all of this had happened, um, um, Samuel Sewell or Sewell Samuel Sewell Sewell. Uh, yep, he apologized on behalf of sort of the whole state and right the, and, and the he town. was one of the jurors right uh, correct who had yeah, convicted he had, all these people. yeah he had been yeah. involved and later he apologized so um and they ordered a, a day of fasting um and he was in the general court so yeah they uh and then some years after that so early 1700s 1711 um there was a monetary restitution mm-hmm. to um the heirs of the people who had been involved so yeah, i mean it, it's sad that so few years passed and everyone's just like oh that was a terrible idea yeah. you know and they realized um, pretty quickly which is good it is good but yeah, it's but also so tragic that, it that so soon after yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone kind of came to their senses and- well and interestingly it kind of does seem as though salem maybe marked a bit of a turning point mm, right that's my understanding or kind of yeah my sense um and after that there weren't many um, which trials either in Europe, I think by this point in Europe, it had kind of dried yeah, up yeah, anyway. Was, they weren't really to doing fade. it. Yeah. yeah. And then I think maybe this whole circus, right. um, kind of after that, people didn't really have much of a taste for, um, which witchcraft trials anymore. And so it really kind of faded out. Um, but so those are kind of the, the main facts of the case. Um, and now we want to kind of move on to some of the very interesting, potential reasons Hmm. for why this might have happened in the first place. Um, So just to give a little historical context and a very interesting book that I read in university and kind of I reread part of it in preparation (laughs) for our podcast and I gave it to you. Did you have a chance to read Mm, any of that? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, you'll enjoy it, I think. But um, it's called In the Devil's Snare. Mm -hmm. And you'll forgive me, I can't remember the author's name. I don't have it in front of me. But um, really interesting book. And um, the author's thesis is that the context around Salem at the time, particularly the Indian wars that had been going on for the last several years beforehand, uh, kind of led directly, she thinks, to 
the um, the Salem witch trials in that people were very much influenced by all the violence that they had witnessed. A lot of the um, people in the community had lost loved ones and friends in very violent battles. Um, kind of this was at the time, this was really the frontier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, of course you had all of, all of these colonists really encroaching on um, Native American land and um you know the wars that kind of followed that left lots of people dead um it was a really rough frightening time and so Mm -hmm. the author's thesis was that these people kind of you know maybe some of these girls internalized what was happening it was a very violent time they thought they were being visited you know by god in a very negative way perhaps punished um for different things these are puritans after all they think that at the heart of it, they've done something to deserve this. <laughs> and uh, I, her her idea was that it was all kind of wrapped up together and that hmm. the Indian Wars kind of um, stirred everybody up, got everybody frightened and paranoid and kind of left this very ripe situation for right. something like this to take hold. Right. It kind of reminds me of what we were reading about with the conversion disorder where yes. you're taking strong emotions that you're not allowed to express or aren't socially acceptable um, and sort of converting it into some other kind of physical outlet or emotional outlet. We should explain that conversion disorder is kind of the modern term for what we've generally thought of as hysteria Hysteria. or mass hysteria. Um, And uh, there have been, you know, kind of incidents throughout history that people now look at and think, well, it's this, it's conversion disorder (laughs) where you're taking, yeah, psychological Mm -hmm. trauma and it's manifesting in physical ways. And it's Mm -hmm. not something that the, um, the person, um, can control. It's not something they're, they're doing consciously. They're not Um, faking it. No, they're not faking it, but it is, it's not so much a physical, you know, disease as much as a neurological disorder, um, a psychological issue. Symptom of something. Yeah. And we, I mean, we definitely know that um, psychological issues can manifest in, Mm -hmm. in physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is one theory. Um, so we've kind of covered the mass hysteria aspect and we've talked about the historical context and I think we now come to (laughs) the most interesting theory. (laughs) So this theory is my favorite and I'll, uh, I'll walk you through this. Um, so I was watching the documentary that Dana had mentioned earlier. Secrets of the dead. <laughs> Secrets of the dead. On PBS. <laughs> it really is a great show. Check it, it, out. it is. Yeah, you should check it out. Um, but uh, so I was watching this documentary um, and it was covering the theory of a researcher and her name is Linda Caporio. And I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right. We're going to say uh, that you are. We're going to go with me. that. So Linda, uh, researcher Linda Caporio um, was a university student. She was a psych major um, at the University of California in Santa Barbara in 1976. So just kind of setting the stage, you know, she's a young student um, and she was doing reading for multiple classes and she found this kind of overlap between reading for a couple of normally disparate subjects. So she's reading in science and she's reading in psychology and she's reading in history. Um, And what she notices is that she was reading about um, a a disease or um, an issue called ergotamine um and so 
it's caused by ergot, which is a disease that affects grain, rye in particular. Mm -hmm. So um, she's reading about rye and this fungus called ergot and the chemical that comes out of the fungus. And what what do they use it for? Or what is is it? uh, (laughs) So the connection and the reason that she um, she noticed the connection between this like fungus and uh, witchcraft in in Salem is that it creates LSD like Mm -hmm. symptoms. Yeah. So so we have our data crazy hippies. (laughs) We have our suspicions about. Like Santa Barbara in the seventies and university student Linda well, here. I thought it was funny in that documentary. She kind of said it without saying it that like, <laughs> like her over. personal experience with right. maybe you know like friends <laughs> air quotes friends yeah, yeah. with LSD. Yeah. I you absolutely know. got that vibe as well. And yeah. She was like, oh, we're doing some reading yeah. for school about the symptoms of LSD. And we're like, uh huh, sure, sure, Linda. Yeah, but uh, you know, however, she acquired this knowledge. Um, thank goodness she did. That, thank goodness, it's a good thing. So it led to enlightenment. Um, so she noticed that the symptoms of ergot poisoning um, mimic the the effects of um, LSD, so the hallucinatory effects of LSD. And uh, she noticed that what people um, were experiencing was very, very similar to the symptoms she was reading um, that these girls were exhibiting in Salem. And she's saying they it were sounds... like having a bad trip. Exactly, exactly. And it really was. She, it was like th- it, these girls sound exactly like they're having a bad trip. Because my understanding is they were eating the bread. Correct. That Correct. was very possibly poisoned basically with right. ergot right and this was fairly common um in communities that grew rye and ate rye bread um it was a really common grain in europe and in in the colonies and uh so she started doing research on this and she found that salem did indeed grow a lot of rye and ergot springs up when conditions are wet so you get a, a wet growing season um and you get a lot more ergot growing in your rye because it's a fungus and um you might not be able to to sort of clean it or get all of it out and so you're grinding it into flour and so the ergot is ground up and then you're baking bread and then you're being poisoned so that's kind of the pathway that leads to you um being poisoned and so she did some research and the summer of 1691 was an extremely wet summer so she was speculating that there could have been a lot of ergot um well and my understanding too is that even just the the area mm -hmm. um around salem village was kind of it was kind of marshy yeah Yep. And uh, so that would have contributed too, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she said, she was talking about how it would have been traditional to grow grains in a very wet area because right. then you wouldn't have to worry about irrigation. Um, and so Puritans and their fellow farmers everywhere um, in sort of Europe um, and the New World were doing this. They were selecting marshes as the place to grow grains, which, you know, today we're, <laughs> we don't follow that practice. But it would have been very easy for ergot to become a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a connection with something called St. Anthony's fire, um, which is another name for ergot poisoning. Um, and it could also be a couple of other diseases like St. Anthony's fire is kind of cropped up through history. And it's kind of a catch all term for a disease that kind of passes quickly through the, the population. But um, there have been cases of that in Europe um, and causing mass hysteria in Europe. So there's definitely a historical precedent for right. this kind of behavior. And uh, we were talking about this kind of powerful moment in this documentary where um, they kind of took a map of incidents of uh, accusations of witchcraft and witchcraft trials in Europe. And so they kind of mapped it out across Europe and, and 
you know, there tended to be clusters kind of of these like incidents blobs happening. Blobs of color on yeah, the map. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then they overlaid it mm-hmm. with a map of now was it like known incidences of ergot Yeah, I think poison? it was like okay. recorded ergot outbreaks. Yeah, yeah, and they they really kind of lined up pretty well. Yeah. Um these kind of areas where <laughs> there would have been ergot poisoning at the time. We're right yep. on top of absolutely the the places and times where there were outbreaks of witchcraft accusations. Yeah, it was a very powerful visual, and yeah. when I saw that in the documentary, I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is the answer." <laughs> but I mean, I mean, there are many speculations, but right. it, it was that piece of evidence really. Well, I was. It's interesting because we saw that documentary, and you kind of think, "Okay, like this is one side of it." And I remember I kind of I went and I I looked up okay, is there evidence against this? And right. it does seem as though, I mean, yes, of course there is, and there are competing theories, um, but it does seem as though this is a pretty accepted theory. And it does, it makes a lot of sense, really. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's kind of an awesome <laughs> explanation. <laughs> we, we kind of love yeah, this it's theory. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. really great. And to further back it up, there was um, a much more recent outbreak. So in 1951 in France, there was a town called Pont Saint Esprit um, in France, and they had an ergot outbreak. And in 1951, which is shockingly recent, mm-hmm. accusations of witchcraft started to fly right. like, a, like a little bit, and no one yeah. went anywhere with it, and they were just dismissed. But I mean, to think about that's very modern, and they couldn't understand because, you know why yeah, this was happening yeah, at they first, didn't know and... why, and then eventually it was they found out that it was ergot, and then everyone's fears were kind of laid to rest. But to think that it could have the same effect so many hundreds of years later yeah you know is is kind of shocking yeah Yeah. it's very interesting i think in the end um my takeaway (laughs) in the end as to maybe the reasons behind what happened in salem was that it was kind of a confluence of events Mm -hmm. it was a combination of various things i mean this was a really riled up period and location where you know between the wars and all of the violence and then i think we talked about too that this was uh, a community where um at this point they were kind of third generation colonists yeah they were saying they were three generations in and they had arrived the puritans had arrived with this dream of a, a new land. yeah like situation, a, a heaven yeah. sort of in a but religious by, paradise but by a few generations in so they'd arrived uh, you know most of them with a very you know, they were building the city on a hill, kind of a uh, yeah, like New Jerusalem civilization, kind of. yeah, yeah. Yep. which was very much founded on um, religion, on their on their faith and their religion. Yep. Um, so you had these kind of strong moral viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, and by this point, by 1692, um, you had started getting colonists who weren't necessarily Puritans, um, who weren't as much interested in the kind of religious <laughs> reasoning for being there. And they were there to make money. They were right. there to right. leave behind a difficult situation in Europe, whatever they were there for. So I think by this point in the colony's history, you started to have some kind of tension between mm-hmm. these different groups who believed mm-hmm. in different things for this community. So you've got this kind of tension, you've got the Indian wars, mm-hmm. this possible like, LSD trip <laughs> happening. Our daughters are being yeah. poisoned. 
end. Yeah. And then the whole mass yeah. hysteria thing. And I think it's it's very possible, right? That maybe mm-hmm. these young women, you can kind of see like children um, maybe would be among the most susceptible or uh, susceptible yeah. to yeah. a disease um, or a poisoning like ergot. So maybe, you know, they come down with this. The community can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Things snowball and I'm you know things go from there and perhaps some of this paranoia and mass hysteria the conversion disorder i'm sure you know had there was an element of that in there so i think all of this stuff kind of maybe worked together to create this perfect storm of crazy yeah that led to (laughs) all these people dying all these people dying 19 people hung and one man Pressed. Pressed. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah. They talk about how Urgot was most likely the trigger for these events, but for it to keep going and to to kill as many people as it did. There needed to be other factors. Yeah, I mean, yeah. then then you pick up into the mass hysteria kind of thing, and then it becomes self-perpetuating, and, and you know, everyone's fears take over, right? So Crazy. Yeah. Just crazy. Yeah. So I think that's okay. uh, that's about all I have. Are you uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. Yay. So... That's the Salem Witch uh, trial crisis. Uh, very interesting. If you want to learn more, there are lots of articles online. We would really recommend the book In the Devil's Snare by mm-hmm. Author Unknown. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I think of that. You, you can Google you it. Can Google you can it Google it pretty easily. Yeah, yeah you yeah. can find that. And if you want to drop us a line, if you have any questions or you want to chat, we'll uh, include some contact information for you. Uh, Absolutely. We'll post it up there. And uh, yeah. Until next great. time. Thank you. This has been Yester Ladies with uh, Dana and Heather. All right. So thanks a lot for listening. All right. Bye. Bye.